This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. I think it was shocking to our team at the time because a lot of people, with the exception of one of our team, had come from craft independent brewing where you'd be very used to brewing maybe twice a week on a single, you know, and when they were hitting MASH 14 <laughs> on the 24 hour, uh, yeah, schedule, they were like, this is, this is lunacy. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. Today's guest, we have Alex Laws, co-founder and head brewer of Whiplash Brewery based out of Dublin, Ireland. Now, the Whiplash story is a good one, a special one. It's a story of two people coming together or finding each other with a vision, hitting all of the speed bumps that come in a small business, but finally getting to be owners of their own brewery and producers of some of the best craft beer in Ireland. Alex is one of those people and Alan is the other. So the, for the first time on the first time, we are going to do two episodes on the Whiplash story, one from Alex and one from Alan, so we can get the full scope of how it all came to be from different vantage points. And I'm sure a few funny stories along the way too. It was really awesome to sit down with Alex. He's one of the most technically minded brewers that I've ever come across. Um, so yeah, let's get to it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents The Thirst Time, and this is our interview with Alex Laws. And we start with that all-important question, what was that first beer for him? Then I don't know. I mean, like, I was always working in, in beer and stuff like that. So to pinpoint, like, a specific departure point at which I've, like, I've tried one beer and then decided to be a brewer didn't really happen like that. I think the moment that, I started to drink something that wasn't in the in the the duopoly um operation that we have here in in, in Ireland prior to uh, craft beer um becoming um more and more popular as it is now. Um it was like English ales that you try down in the shop. That was literally just me out of school. Um I finally allowed to stand around in an off license for a little while and actually pick what I'm buying, you know, and just once it turned 18 and then going. Oh, that's a bit interesting. What's that? You know, rather than your usual <clears throat> six cans to go to a party. And um, I think it was like stuff like Speckled Hen and Amazing. stuff and all these kind of English ales and stuff because Bishop's Finger yeah, and Hobgoblin. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And like <laughs> they were, you have to, you have to put that in the context of the Irish market and that. There wasn't that much choice, and it's a it's a cautionary tale for for um for for allowing markets, particularly in beer and creative industries like that, to, to to turn into a monopoly or a duopoly, where the only the only options you really would have during those days is yeah, Budweiser, you know, Heineken, Guinness, um, maybe a cider or two that are produced by the same manufacturers. So seeing anything that's even on a regional basis from the UK close and and was just made without outrageous amounts of adjunct and, and very short production times and, you know, being made to be as cheap as possible. Having actually something that had <clears throat> malt and hops and that you could actually taste it in that, you know, from an early age for me, I was like, whoa, that's that's pretty interesting. Now, now did I did I become obsessed with 
speckled hen and, and and English ales. No, but I definitely have, you know, an appreciation for that, I suppose. But it was a gateway, uh, I guess, for you. Like, and, get, and yeah. we're going to put a pin in that, in the Irish market kind of side of things, because it's really interesting and there's probably a lot to talk about and it's good to get scope. Um, but yeah, that's no, where I want to go. I, I don't want to, ma- no, I don't, I don't want to make it about that. I just, you know, I've been listening to your podcast and it's great. And I just, you know, hearing so many other people's, but they're from, they're from the U S and they're from like, you know, Australia and stuff. And they all have these wonderful beer markets that are long established all around them. And, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're able to go, Oh yeah, I know it's not interesting, but I had, you know, like dogfish head or something like that. What I would have done for like a dogfish <laughs> head back in two, 2005 or six, you know, You'd and, and I still appreciate sea, those yeah. beers, but it was exactly, it was far more, but like an off license in Ireland was for four beers, like yeah. all of which are available all over the world. And it was entirely on price and it was a deeply uncreative and depressing kind of beer market in terms of a consumer's choice and um you know our, our emerging stories as to what what got us interested in beer are far less you know interesting than than, than some of the brewers that you had on here well but i don't i don't think it is uninteresting and i think that the kind of thing that you're highlighting there is really interesting which is the suppression almost of a market to the point of, you know, mm. there's there's a beer that begins with G that's quite famous in Ireland and, and kind of yeah. has is ownership yeah. over over the market over there. But um, okay, so that is really interesting, and and you you'd be surprised, like a lot of the people I speak to, these kind of English ales and stuff. And and for me, my brother used to come back mm. with like Bishop's Finger or Hobgoblin, which were just you know available at the local Londis before you mm. kind of thinking about anything like Sierra Nevada or something. And it was the yeah. point of fascination and something different. And I guess kind of sticking with the real ale theme of being a, mm. a young Yorkshireman. Um, so moving on from there, Alex, you did find a love of kind of like the more American side of like hoppy beers and stuff. Was that just way later yeah. down the line? At this point, we, you were just drinking beers as a young man, but no fascination in mm-hmm. the production of it. Or was it because the market was so small that you were like, man, I need to do something for myself? Well, um, yeah. How would I how would I phrase that? So I did, I did, I did step on, and I think, I think when Sierra came began to be imported into the market, then we were getting a taste of hoppy beer, and I was, I was very much like electrified by that, and and, and I found that really, really interesting. But I was in a, I was in a small group of people who were drinking anything other than the than the monopoly um of industrial beer that we had here anyway so i was i was i was ready to take that step into there and to, and and to drink that and i was i was really um yeah i was really i was really ignited by that and 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 found a lot of creativity and and um smelling hops and stuff in that way and you're just like whoa what is what is this even just like you're one of the mill cascades and you try centennial and you're like this this is incredible you know beer can smell like this and um, so that's pretty interesting I was already working in beer I'd worked as a I'd worked as a baker when I was a teenager um, throughout school which is a very very unusual like a uh, teenager job to have most people get a job in a shop and stuff like that and, and probably because you had to get up so early yeah oh no I used to do night shift I used to, oh, I used to do no night way. shift and go into school and school at the school, school in the morning 
Wow. Um, so yeah, I'd like double shift it. Like I was always a nutter for work. Like it was very, very silly. And I didn't do that all the time. I mostly keep it the weekends and the one or two days, and particularly Christmas rush and stuff like that. I do that type of thing. But um, I found um, cooking and stuff. I, I, I got a job at about 15, 16 with a really good, cool uh, bakery. And uh, the chef there was 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 a great boss to me. And she's real inspiration. And, and she took me under her wing and she said, yeah, this is, um, you're really good at this. Or, you know, at least instilled in me like the passion to do that correctly. And I think probably a lot of my interest in, you know, fermentation and 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 and, and wheat and and that type of thing and oats and all was probably the foundation was was there in cooking rather than um just looking at it as, as an entirely you know industrial process or whatever it was very much from the kitchen outwards and then I I, I stopped doing that after school and then I had a brief uh you know wandering the desert different different trades as builders fabricator and stuff for a while and um and then I I I I was I was tipped off about a about a, a, a temporary job in Guinness um uh for they have like a staff off license there oh, and cool. uh, it's basically for your free issue when you have been business that size you know, we've 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 our fridge here, and people just help themselves on the way out the door and stuff like that. And we stack in staff, you small like, but what do you do when there's like you know, thousand people working in a plant or whatever? You set up like a specific um off license, and they have a they have a rush for Christmas with the amount of um uh, retirees uh, who come in and they and they claim their issue coming up to Christmas time and their tokens and stuff. And I I took a temporary job there, thinking I was going to do three months and go back to building. And um, and then they were like, "This guy's this guy's really good. This guy's amazing, you know." And what I didn't <laughs> tell them is that is that is that my father had worked for Guinness and he was in, in turn retired as well. And that no everybody way. coming in the door, I knew since I was a child playing traditional Irish music with, with, with half of the Guinness Brewery growing up, you know, so like they were all like, oh, look at him, Simba, you know, he's all grown up and all like, and nobody's saying anything, <laughs> anything to the manager. And then they're like, do, do you want a do you do permanent job here? And I was just like, uh, yeah, go on. So I thought, I thought I'd take it for a couple of months and then I ended up staying there for eight years. Oh, wow. And then, and then, yeah, yeah. Then, so where then, did that move from? Though? Did that, did, was that just in one role that you stayed there for eight years? Oh, was that? Or did no, you start no, climbing the ladder up. in different operations? Nah, well, it's a ladder within. You know, it was within the the hospitality end. A lot of people go to the to, the Guinness storehouse, you know, which yeah. was, uh, I was basically working in there. But that's a huge operation. There's like 1.2 million people coming in there, and in the, in the doors, 120 people working in that in that building alone. So I was working between there. I was working as a storehouse assistant. So I'd be the sort of person you could get you know, tours to, you know, particularly tours to brewers and stuff once they mm-hmm. realized that I, I had a deep, you know, passion for learning all about the, the production process. So I was processing like the big groups and stuff and, you know, more administration in the back. And then I was working kind of uh, most in the gravity bar for a long time and started doing an internal quality program. So I really looked after lines and glass cleanliness and like the really fine kind of technical detail of like how well are we are we dispensing this beer because if you can't get it right you know at the at the the, the, this corporate company's flagship sort of outlet or whatever where everyone's having like okay this is meant to be the best one or whatever and that fell on me and uh and a handful of other other folks uh, who were very interested in that and then i think my passion for the more tech aspects of service of beer mm-hmm. what's going on with 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 carbonation nitrogenation pressures all of this sort of stuff just like 
all of these things were snowballing and just lighting a fire in me to get more and more technical with understanding this. And then I was just like, yeah, you know all of this one one beer. I'm I, I just I just didn't yeah, I wasn't getting enough information. And um, you know, big companies like that, they're a closed shop. The route to becoming a brewer in um in a company like that is to go through um a graduate program of coming in as a chemical engineer or a mechanical engineer and that's how you become a brewer in corporate brewing and yeah. that wasn't uh, i i was studying i decided to do a degree just for the fun of something i was interested in so <laughs> i i was kind of they were like well well obviously you're studying chemical engineering right now and i was like uh no i'm doing like film studies and literature out, there, <laughs> out, out, out in the national film school out in idt and uh and they're like right that's not that's not going to be very useful and i was like right well fine so uh they basically said no chance mate this is a closed shop brewers are just chemical engineers as far as industrial beer production is concerned and um so i said right um i'm gonna i'm gonna inform myself as to what's going on here in order to be better at my job within there. So I just got the pots and pans out and I went on the websites and got into home brewing and started to cook beer in my kitchen. Um, when I was off every now and again, or just, you know, in the evenings and then I go to work in the morning, I got, got a, got a homebrew bubbling off there and I'd be learning so much in terms of a self-directed learning mm-hmm. focus. And, um, and then the bug, the bug bit, I knew exactly that I wanted to be a brewer instead of just going through, you know, the rungs of internally within a, within a larger beer company that I was just like, no, no, I, I like this makes sense to me. I was a baker. I have that passion for, for, for food and kind of meticulous kind of production of this sort of stuff. I want to actually step into brewing and just knowing that, you know, that wasn't an avenue within there. I just, you know, yeah, I I realized, you know, halfway in or whatever that I'd have to I'd have to work for, you know, a smaller, different company. And I, I my passion and my um and my focus was with, you know, independence and creating yeah. production of 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 craft beer, if you want to use that term. So, you know, I I, I made the leap. Um and it was like 25, 26, and yeah. Man, and it feels was, so yeah, it feels so crazy, Alex. It feels like you've crammed a lot in in that time. Uh I'm just think, sat here thinking, because obviously, you know, within our industry, you know, you are known as one of the most technical brewers that I know and that, you know, we've sought advice from on, on, on certain things. And I'm just getting a feel for what you're talking about there. And there seems to just be such a thirst. Sound like Ross from Friends now. It was like a thirst for knowledge <laughs> <laughs> within it, yeah. within your, like, because what's happening, you know, you. you're at work and you're kind of working around this stuff. You're a young guy. You were learning mm. about like dispense systems, thinking about like the hi- like hydrogenation or what you just said. Or, and um, what's your spare time looking like at that time? Are you just totally focused on this? Is your brain just attuned to details and on, on, on a kind of scientific level? Did it just hit something that you didn't necessarily know was there or was it always something that you kind of had a feel for? Hmm. Maybe it is. I don't know. I've never been that self-reflective to actually probably answer that question about my own brain. I don't think many people well, that's are what we're here for, good at that level of self, <laughs> self, self-processing. Um, but uh, maybe it is. Yeah. I, um, I would definitely spend most of my time um, just trying to learn new things. Um, yeah. I just find that that's, so uh, whether that's entirely in my job, I did find, you know, 
a good bit of the way into into starting whiplash i started scratching my head i was like this is all i do like this is you know, <laughs> i'm constantly like i can't like did you ever get the thing where you can't talk to actual normal people and you just yeah like because you've just spent the last x amount of years just just analyzing you know every inch of your trade and stuff and when they come up they want to talk to you about brewing and i'm like well i'm much more interested in what you do but then also i have no frame of reference for like chatting to other people about like what what they do as well like, yeah. so I've, I've 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 tried to get away from that and tried to stop obsessing about my trades at at home at least but uh i don't know if i'm that's you're such a buzzkill at so parties yeah you're just the guy in the corner <laughs> I talking really about am, yeah. levels in there i'm a, yeah <laughs> this guy's bumming me out man Okay, so you've got the bug. You're a 24, 25-year-old guy. Ireland is still, an, I feel, uh, okay, undeveloped in kind of craft beer scene. Obviously, it's got this huge entity, mm. which is Guinness. And like you just kind mm. of mentioned there, your dad worked for Guinness. It's mm. it, it, it encompasses the whole of Ireland. It's probably the most synonymous drink with a, a part of the world. Mm. Yeah, it has to be. Like everyone knows Guinness and Ireland, they kind of come hand in hand. Um, mm. So where are you going to start finding your roots to to find your own thing? Obviously, you're young, the idea of maybe starting your own brewery is a little bit further away. Mm. What other avenues um, were, there, were there for you to take? Okay, uh, other avenues. At the time, I was thinking the only way is just to start something. And... Yeah. Um, then just get my head in gear uh, as to how do you also, you know, how do you learn to trade yourself, not as, you know, going through, um, going through college. Cause there's, there's actually, there's, there's no kind of like brewing school or anything like, 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 like folks in Germany and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't go through a, a, a specific process like that. Uh, so you're teaching yourself that and then you're like trying to teach yourself how to start a business and then also all of those cash flow things and also that's a little bit daunting as well so um but also you know um i wanted to work in a, in a brewery that kind of put me skills to use i wasn't i wasn't sitting there in guinness going well i'm ready to be a brewer because i homebrew quite a lot that's not yeah. that's not how it works and you see the level of professionalism and detail and still knowing what you don't know is very important um and uh, i did feel like that and i would like from my time working in kitchens as well like that you, you know you see people start starting up like on gordon ramsay or something like starting their own family restaurant having never worked in a restaurant as well and you're like yeah it's lunacy like you know have enough respect for your trade to work within the trade before going out and branching out and starting your own your own business so um i was i was actively looking for work as a brewer and uh while i was still there and then um the opportunity came along and that's that's how i met alan so one of the brewers in guinness at the time um knew that i was you know and the brewers in guinness very nice you know what i mean they were trying to get me in there but there was a structure to how, how, how that was working and then one of them who was leaving to work with, uh, with with one of Alan's projects, Alan was involved in um, in a in a brewery startup here in Ireland. Uh, he contacted me and he says, "Look, you're a really creative brewer. Uh, I know we've 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 tried to get you into the into the plant in Guinness, and that's a closed job. So, um, do you want to do this?" And I was like, "Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I want to do." So uh, that's I left that brewery is called Roy River, and that's uh, it's now kind of a regional brewery 
really excellent make banging out great beers mm-hmm. um and they're just up the road um and um i left and i was there and my intention was i don't want to be working about a year and then i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to get off the pot and i'm gonna have to get get started on on, on starting you know my own brewery which you know w- would turn out to be whiplash but uh, that took a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there and um, and then the head brewer at Roy River after about a year uh, said, this, this isn't for me, he left. And um, and then Alan asked me to do the job. And no way. I said, no. Yeah. Oh, really? Because yeah, I was like, well, this is, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's his plan. I, I, I had completely different ideas as to what I wanted to do within Ireland. I seen so many. Uh, opportunities as to where we could bring the Irish market and consumers and stuff, and it, it, it like the operation there was like many other other operations because to give them their due, you know, to, to, there are other independent breweries, there were other independent breweries operating within within Ireland's even within the duopoly, but like only in a handful, um, and um, the majority of them are just producing the same what they call the the, the Trinity at the time, a stout, a red ale. And a pale ale or lager, the pale ale lager part was interchangeable, mm-hmm. and that's that's what we were doing up in Roy River. Albeit we felt they were better, um, and um, and Alan was like, "Will you do this job?" And I says, "No, I didn't want to do it because you know a lot of stuff was set in stone, and um, the recipes were there, and I wouldn't brew beers like that. I wouldn't brew beers with those recipes or whatever, and 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 I didn't feel I could t- I could have a good degree of ownership over that. And Alan was just like, "Just just change everything. I don't care." And I was like, well, okay. And I was like, what? He's a great negotiator like that. And he's just like, well, you know, I'm asking you to do it. So like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, you realize I'm going to change like everything, all the malts, all the hops, everything, everything's going out the door, yeast, all that sort of stuff. All your beers are going to get more expensive. And, you know, this is, I'm not, I'm not fighting a battle with the office and stuff. And he's like, okay, I don't mind. This is my department. So, you know, let's just do it. So this, can I just, can over, I just, I can like, I just stop you there for, for a moment, Alex? Just like yeah. you're, you're a headstrong guy at this point. Like this, this is, you know, you've been offered this head brewing job. It's kind of a dream job in a sense. It's what you've been kind of looking for. But there's obviously something that's really strong inside of you that is just like, I am not doing what someone else is telling me to do. Like I have my own <laughs> vision, and yeah. this isn't going to get in the way of it. Like what? I what do. was that? Were you, did you just feel that the creative freedom was what was what you needed to 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 pursue? Just being stubborn, just being an idiot, you know. Just like no, I'm gonna do my own way, you know. I'm a because you've got no experience, really. You know? at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> the beers were good. I knew my homebrews were all right. I was banging out a few recipes or whatever, and people were like, "Yeah, that's pretty good." So, um. Yeah, I did. I I just had a different view on where 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 beer was at, yeah, and that like producing what was effectively, you know, good good quality, but you know, regional sort of like okay, putting it in a category in a box in the supermarket stuff wasn't necessarily what I thought was the most interesting thing in um in the in the in the the, the whole spectrum of creativity that you can apply to to independent craft beer and uh, at a small scale so that's that's what didn't appeal to me but mm-hmm. my you know the more mature part of my brain switched on and i said you know what you could probably get a lot better at brewing by you know just being a head brewer and, <laughs> and implementing these things and learning and getting your like i mean very very like going in with your eyes open going you're gonna get your arse kicked by this you're gonna absolutely get your arse kicked by this but that's probably what you need 
Um, so that was the thought process behind us. Um, nine times out of ten, doing things the hard way is usually the right way. It's the hard way for a reason. So you know, it's it's probably the best thing to do. Yeah. So it wasn't. It wasn't the the oh how cool is this you know just the title or whatever it was misery it was really tough like really really tough trying to bring um a brewery around to your vision for it that had already been emotionally quite large that's age we were already brewing four or five times a day and you know I had to step it up pretty quickly to a twenty four hour operation while changing all of the recipes and really turning around oh man and, those beers, and, so. and just to get a feel so this is you've gone into an established brewery they've got this kind of like a couple of recipes that are set in stone that haven't really changed probably since their inception i'm not i'm not sure you, the, the yeah. history of rye river but um this young kid comes in <laughs> alan with his great negotiation just goes yeah just do whatever change change everything <laughs> There's probably people yeah. that have been working at this brewery way longer than you. And suddenly you're trying to, you know, you're trying to turn the ship in a new direction. What's uh, what's the kind yeah. of feeling within the business at this time? Are they, is everyone putting their confidence in you? Are you kind of having to, you know, back up what your, what your, your vision is basically? I think I think the I think the brewers are definitely on my side. Definitely. Like I was, I was there awesome. from early days. It was a startup when I came on okay. in terms of, the, the the office it's great great trepidation I would I would assume because you know they taught it a good thing and um, yeah yeah I, I I don't so so I yeah part of it was like I brought I brought Alan to um, NBCC we had a spare ticket somebody pulled out and I was just like maybe nah probably not maybe maybe you'd like to go. I was like, right. I asked him, I was like, come to this. It's like a beer festival. Me and my friends go. This was in his third year or something like that. We've gone since the start. And um, him coming over and he's like, yeah, let's do it. And he turned out to be great crack. I mean, the guy's my boss at the time. And, um, you know, you're not really sure what a holiday away on a beer festival is going to be like with your, with your gaffer, you know what I mean? Sharing an, an Airbnb or whatever. And then he's, you know, you've met Alan's <laughs> crack. I'm fighting um, the laughter. I'm, I, like I'm holding in extreme yeah. laughter, just like knowing Alan yeah. and anyone that knows Alan's character. Uh, yeah, going away yeah. with Alan is, yeah. is a different a different a different thing altogether. Well, that, that was my first experience. Going, yeah, going away with Alan, but like for him, <laughs> what I didn't realize about about him was that he was obsessed with good food culture and stuff as well. But had just never seen that part of the um the the creative end of the the craft beer culture and brewing industry. Um, so um, his eyes were very much opened by that, and I think that gave him more and more confidence in like what what I potentially wanted to do, even with mm-hmm. even with their brewery. Um, and he's like, okay, well, this guy's been thinking about this for a long time. And I get, I get, I actually get the range of spectrum of flavor and, and, and how important even your selection of even like, you know, rather than just one variety of malts, like the spectrum of like the difference of, 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 of how that malt tastes from supplier to supplier to supplier and your hops and all, all of the yeast and stuff. Um, and it's not just recipe. I mean, everything. So it's nine, nine, nine out of 10 of these, you know, improvements will always be processed. Um, but he, he understood that I kind of, you know, I would I would have a very strong opinion on how mm-hmm. to how to produce this the the way I wanted to produce it. So um so yeah I had the backing of him and then other folks in the business are just you know this is just a job sort of thing. Are you sure about this lunatic 20 26 year old kid running this 
this 24 hour operation straight it's out insane. of straight out of uh you know yeah it's kitchen totally work <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah kitchen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so what like, so, you know, so take us play, yeah. yeah take us into so what are the first beers that you're looking to produce what you know what was the, the the big vision that you had that you wanted to achieve with uh rye river and and could you did you still have the inkling that you wanted to start your own thing or you're like okay well i've got the creative freedom now like this is this is this feels good i can i can kind of settle in for a little bit well, there, there was and there wasn't creative freedom. I think in terms of the, the the level of creative freedom that I wanted to apply to it, it would encompass, I mean, you know how many beers we've knocked out at Whiplash and that just wouldn't be possible with the structure and the route to market of a, big, mm-hmm. of a bigger brewery like that. And so that's that's just not possible. And that, that would, I'll, I'll lead on to that in terms of how Whiplash started as well because it kind of informed that as well. But like Ireland just didn't have a decent IPA, man. I mean, like how how you know it, it seemed basic to me, and I know um, I was I've been listening to um, to to a lot of your podcasts and a lot of your brewers, particularly in the UK, and people like Sice, you know, mm. fantastic beer like Colonel and stuff like that, and and, and great hoppy beer that was coming about at that, and I was like. We really, and I don't want to. I don't. I don't want this to, to to sound bad to any brewers who were who were operating at that time. But there was a very clear kind of thing where everybody was playing it safe to the point of the industry being boring in terms mm-hmm. of hoppy beer, and um, that was available. And everybody's route to market was effectively let's sell into supermarkets, supermarket, you know, main warehousing or supermarkets individually, but they're still going to be sitting on the shelf in that way. And I was just like, look, we've got to do a better job of hops. Um, and, you know, get out of this headspace of like really crystally, you know, early 90s IPAs in terms of, you know, that type of thing that are mulled forward than they are hops and just like, um, because I, you know, I was a big fan of East Coast IPAs, and I was I was traveling over to to, uh, to the states, try a lot of stuff that was that was just emerging at the time, and I was like, it's all about simplicity here. It's all about good hop build, clean malt base, and um and decent yeast, and let's let's just do it that way. So I just produced an IPA for them, that, and then that just exploded. That was just their biggest seller, and then the rest of the office team were just like, okay, leave him alone. Yeah. Um, you can you do know, what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. We won, like we won awards and stuff in Ireland and I don't, oh, wow. I don't bang on about awards, but that's how that's, that's definitely something that uh, got the confidence. I think of the rest of the company in terms of what we were doing, because they would, they would pay attention to that sort of stuff. And, and, and um, it started to just kind of turn the tide in terms of the perception of the brewery. And people were like, Oh, okay. Well, this brewery is potentially quite interesting now. So, um, so that was great. Um, so that's that's how it started. And just like, oh, I have this genius idea of producing an IPA for this. It just needed to be done. It, it, yeah, there it needed was, to be something like that on the market. Yeah. yeah, it was missing. It was missing in the market. Um, but um, that wasn't, you know, the range of you know creative output that I'd, I potentially wanted to do in mm-hmm. terms of uh, in terms of brewing. And I still felt that I'd still like to be doing my own thing because it's quite a lot that isn't being covered. Um so um so that's that's when we started Whiplash basically after that. You are listening to Track Brewing Co presents the first time and this is our interview with Alex Laws. So we've kind of touched on a few times the Irish market. And we haven't really delved mm-hmm. into it. And I don't want to like 
dwell on it too much, but it is fascinating because obviously, you know, we're talking at a time in the UK, you know, Sierra Nevada was quite available on supermarket shelves. There was a lot of like, I mean, craft craft brewing, you know, like a cask kind of traditional level has always been there. Um, Mm. Obviously, there was new breweries coming through, say, 10 years ago that were starting to do like American style IPAs and things. What was the Irish market like? What is the Irish market like as a beer consumption um, market? Mm. Mm. Um, uh, well, the Irish market is pretty much, I mean, it, it, there has been a big change in terms of the, 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 the variety that's actually available. The percentage of the consumption that's now in independence, you know, crafts sector is has, has expanded greatly from where it was, but it's still such a small part of the market mm-hmm. in general. I mean, you've mentioned the G word and stuff in, in, in Ireland, but that's not the biggest selling beer. The biggest, like 60% of consumption, over 60% is lager. So 60% is Heineken really? and Budweiser. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just known as an export because they sell Ireland Incorporated, mm-hmm. you know, over there at, at Guinness. But, you know, Guinness are headquartered in London. <laughs> like, <they're> not, <laughs> like they, they've got a big production plant in Ireland. Their biggest production plant is in Nigeria. Like, you know, their big production plants are in, in Malaysia and, and 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 Ghana and stuff. And like, you know, it's um, so interesting. They're they're a big company, like they're what, 20th, 21st in terms of global beer sales. Um, and yeah, absolutely. There's a lot that you can point to in terms of like this is an Irish industry. Um throughout that period, like I mentioned, my father worked there, but that's not unusual in Ireland. Like loads, you know, his, his uncles worked there. We were all Coopers there, but like in Dublin, you're pretty much working there or you're working at, you know, some sort of state service or in the, in the, yeah, basically as a civil servant or something in 1900, one in every five people was reliant on a breadwinner from Guinness. So like, you know, this is pretty big industry. So I suppose it's like, Shipbuilding Clyde side or something, and 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 you know there was this areas or Harlem Wolf up in Belfast or something like the specific companies who effectively dominate the trade of their city, and that's not unusual. So, um, so yeah, that's where that's where they would be. But in terms of Irish consumption, it's mostly lager, and um, yeah. so yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of that. And then at the time we were starting when Bruno was growing up, that was all there was. I think there was maybe one or two breweries who were who were who were just kind of knocking out a couple of beers. And uh, then a couple started, uh, namely like Porthouse and Franciscan Well um, and O'Hara's. O'Hara's were exporting to the US mainly. They weren't really selling in Ireland. They didn't feel that there was a, um, there was a huge uh, market for for that type of stuff in in, in, in Ireland. But they were, they were doing it. I don't want to um, yeah, um, make light of, of what, they were, what they were shifting, but they were mostly focused on export. Um, and... Um, yeah, at that time, what like I mean, the the, the cautionary tale of you know a duopoly, but basically it's it's uh, it's Heineken and Cork, yeah, um, which are operated from Beamish and Crawford, and um, and it's Guinness in, in Dublin, which is you know they used to have other plants around the country, but everything's really produced in Dublin now, and a lot of the production there is is Budweiser and Carlsberg, Tuborg and Guinness in a smaller amount, I believe. Wow. Um, and um, and Heineken mostly from Beamish's plant there as well. But if you can imagine at that time, like that's not good for, that's not good for an industry. No. And that's not good for the overall economy. And that's not good for local economies either because you know, this is part of the other problem with getting into brewing or whatever. Like people quaff at that particular job because really there was what, 12, maybe 
15 working brewers in the country at one stage, you know, just producing all of this on basically shift rotation. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. So, so crazy. So, okay, yeah. well, let's. So like, that, it's, it's it's interesting to just get a little bit of scope, and you, uh, uh, an amazing scope from you, Alex, as, as ever. You're a fountain of knowledge on these things, but uh, I could spend more time just talking about that. But we should get back to to the Whiplash journey. So, Alan, who you briefly mm-hmm. mentioned, is the other co-founder of Whiplash. You two are an amazing mm-hmm. duo. Um, so he's come across you at Rye River, seen this young guy full of. Uh, ideas and enthusiasm for for his craft, but you're still working for Rye River. But mm-hmm. is there an understanding there between both of you? He's obviously seen something in you where we're like, we, I want to, I want to start something with this guy. Um, yeah, yeah, we definitely had a great, great working relationship. A lot of respect there still. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, we're kind of like brothers now, and. Uh, yeah, we 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 rip out like brothers, and then we're 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 fine within an hour or something like that, and everyone's just kind of shocked. And just, it is, he's yeah, I don't, he is like a brother to me. So um, yeah, we um, we 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 probably had a similar vision, but you know, Roy River was the main thing. Yeah, Roy River was a, was a paying job, and you know, I was I was very happy doing that. I wanted to start something like Whiplash for a long time, and. The issue with it was the route to market there, the structure of being a big brewery like that means that you're mainly focused at, you know, your 12 customers, a few exports, going in supermarkets, uh, less independent stuff. So everything you have to make has to be a pitched kind of, you know, to to a buyer and stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and to go, you know, we're thinking of introducing a new SKU or something like that. Um, so branching out and wanting to do the range of stuff that we actually wanted to do was was an uphill struggle within that structure of things so i certainly wanted to do um a lot more beers to uh to just have available on the market in in, in ireland for geeky folks like myself or or, or when I, whenever i felt that i was i was uh um i wasn't covered by um the range that was available um in the country so uh so yeah, the small tanks in the brewery um just weren't being used. I just felt we had two 25 hectoliter tanks that were like like a single brew, but everything that we did, everything that we did was double and plus, mm-hmm. you know, we go into some of the tanks eight times. Um we'd like, you know, uh we'd fairly fairly flat out production. And these 25 hectoliter tanks, when you're looking at like a big bottling plant like that, a big kegging plant, like turning that on and off for a for a 20 heck run was not worth its time. So every time we ever brewed into them, it was getting blended with something else. So that was just, you know, it, it just wasn't that useful. And um, uh, yeah, if you wanted to do a single run on a 20 hectoliter tank, it's, you know, you're maybe running the ca- the bottling line for an hour where you got two hours downtime on either side between CIP and turning around the labels and doing all of that sort of stuff. So it just never gets used. So, yeah. um, so I pitched it to the guys. I was like, all these tanks are doing is just getting blended into other tanks. And at sometimes we just don't get to it at the end of the week. And we've just brewing on a Monday. I'm like, I could up the efficiency of overall what we're doing here. Um, if I just do specials in these tanks. Um, and they were like, well, we don't really, and, they're right. They're like, we don't really have the route to market to do that. We don't really have, you know, individual um, uh, buyers who would take it just a 20 heck run or something. Um, it's just too much hassle. I was like, okay, well, do you want to just rent the tanks to me and just 
send them on to me and I'll just uh, I'll get the package independently. There's there was a there was mobile canning guys even starting up in Ireland at the time. And I was like, right, so this is perfect. It's not even going to affect the bottling line. Um, we get extra volume. Uh, I can, you know, I'll, I'll just look after the sales of that myself. I'll just, you know, contact, you know, bottle shops and independent places and I'll just, I'll just deal with a different brand. And they were like, yeah, that, that, that works. That's no problem. So, so we did that. And, um, and at that stage, Alan was very, you know, uh, very enthused by it. He was very much part of that 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 pitch because you know I just hate seeing inefficiencies and yeah. and 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 also seeing it as an opportunity to do something really really positive and creative within the industry. So um, so I said right okay let's 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 do it. So that's when we started Whiplash and the 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 Whiplash thing was you know we wanted to slow it down. We had a pain in their neck from going so fast with you know big production and growth and stuff like that, and we just wanted to slow things down and to make other you know, more interesting one-off beers. We just like look at a tank and says that's far more powerful and useful if we just look at it every time we turn that. It's just a one-off, um, and uh, and it, we, then we just don't have to, you know, don't have to worry about the whole sales pitch, big skew, a big route to market kind of presentation or something like that. Just just make a batch of beer and send it out, <laughs> and just have like deal with the way we've been wanting to do it. Um, so then we did that, and um, I think the first thing we did was like a scaldy porter like a really viscous kind of porter and um and that was fun and then a double ipa and put a double ipa into can which was oh, very wow. much a kind of homage to to heady topper and nobody was doing that in ireland yeah. at the time and we even used we used vermont yeast and stuff and uh, left it a bit hazy and all and and like the porter went went down well but i think this was happening at the same time as the whole yeah, the whole the whole hoppy hoppy beer in a can thing was, was just about to kick off. Yeah. Um. So this was what six, seven years ago. Like so. Yeah. That was that made a lot of noise. People went went kind of crazy for that. So, well, just like never so then, experienced um, it. I guess just something totally new yeah, to the market. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was I was very much um very very enthused by that when I went to the, to the US and some friends had kept me had gone up to Vermont and they got me some cans of heady topper and stuff and, and and I was like wow this is fantastic and mm-hmm. and you know talking to brewers over there they were all like yeah it's all about this yeast and stuff and it's really interesting and I was like okay but I wanted to do that as part of a, a series of stuff and to have a bit of variety and stuff and what we were doing but consumers quickly tell you what you're going to do very 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 quickly so um so yeah that went out and people went crazy for it and um yeah we just uh, i think untapped was very popular at the time and yeah. rate beer and all and then they all all the people who love rating beer said no oh, this is the best beer ever or whatever like you know and it was like it was just it was the so they, they rated it like top rate rated in ireland and stuff and all of a sudden we were the number one rated brewery in ireland which was like a weekend project wow. now that we were just doing and um and it went kind of mad then um and we fully intended just for this to just be a weekend thing and you know i would probably leave at some stage to start a completely different operation or whatever but this thing got out of hand and we just decided, right, well, we just do this full time. Uh, I mean, we produced other beers straight after that. We did uh, we did True Love Weights, which was a like a Columbus dry hopped German pills. Nice. And then we jumped straight on to, yeah, we jumped straight on to, uh, what was it? Um, I think we did a whiff with like a lot of fresh grapefruit 
zest and stuff. We kept things moving really, yeah. really quickly. We went to Lager, we to Belgian, and Imperial Stout after that. But uh, And then Rollover came along, or Session IPA. I just wanted to make a sub 4% really hoppy beer. And people went nuts for that as well. And we were like, look, this is pretty consistently consumers are reacting consumers are telling us which direction to go here um and uh we said will we just do this full time i mean it's a lot of hard work and we just both have a sit down and said okay let's do it so no way so that was it so that was it the, the beginning of whiplash as a kind of its own entity you and alan cut the chains of where you were but you guys mm-hmm. didn't have a physical brewery for quite a while after that so you kind of went into the cuckoo well, I guess it's kind of what you were doing. You were kind of cuckoo brewing effectively, even though it was at your, your own yeah. work. Um, now, I know that, you know, we've had a few conversations with a few people that have done contracting and cuckooing and that kind of thing. And someone that is as obsessed with details as yourself, now you're not attached to necessarily to just Rye River. How did you find that process? Yes, that is that was difficult. And I mean, even within my job um as a head brewer there um it, like battling constantly with uh with, with quality standards and 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 um and getting beers exactly where you want them to be even with your own kit is extremely yeah. difficult i think it really took its toll on my my uh, emotional state actually you know becoming a cuckoo brewer after that um but yeah we i mean we weren't contracting in any degree of the traditional sense and um, some people with contract brewing, the differential between contract and cuckoo to me is contract brewing is you post a recipe and you get your beer back. And cuckoo brewing, as we were doing it, was we're walking in there, we're putting on the wellies and we're brewing this for the day and uh, leave me a tank clean and I'll look after the rest and I'll check in on it every day. So that's that's how we did it. Um, and we would source all of our raw materials. We have it all dropped there on the day because we'd be using facilities that wouldn't that, that wouldn't stock a lot of that and they wouldn't mm-hmm. have a lot of those products on the market like so there so the advantage for us there we we started to use other facilities around ireland and we were contacting people just going do you have a free tank do you have a free tank and then some people don't and some people did um but the advantage of having done the thing in Roy River and being run a run the head brewery there, sorry, run the run the brewery there, um, meant that people had a lot more trust in me just walking in and, and running their brew house for the day, making their mm. own beer, rather than uh, this is somebody who's looking to get into the market and wants to use all of your crazy heavy machinery, you know, unattended for the day. Like that was never going to happen. So we were at a at a at a slight advantage that people would go, okay, well, you know. Let's let's let them use it and um and so so yeah that that was how we 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 kept a good degree of um you know the vision for what the beer was meant to taste like and 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 uh, and come out like uh you know basically true to what we were trying to achieve um so but yeah it takes its toll on you and it definitely yeah, man. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody I mean we we wouldn't have been able to do it any other way we'd no money um yeah. we were literally just brewing beer to beer um very i mean there was no margin in it and any margin you would spend literally just on 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 petrol to get to the brewery and for you know a sandwich in the sandwich in the petrol station well i know that i used to just see you guys we'd be at different festivals and stuff and i just remember just seeing like alan's face sometimes just in despair because the the hurdles that you have to jump over when you 
don't have your own, I mean, it's hard enough when you've got your own facility and you're kind of in charge of processes and stuff. Our scale, it's, there's still things that go wrong all the time. It's a constant firefight of Mm. a pumps down or this, that, and the other. But you guys really had to fight to keep Whiplash alive. Like there was points, I know just, you know, you're relying on other people to do a job that you should, (laughs) you want to be doing. Um, and I, I was always just like, man, you guys are working so hard to keep this thing alive. So you'd started almost, almost this dream start of, of, of getting that untapped rating, kind of blowing people's minds in Ireland, becoming this really creative force. But there was a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work for you guys to go through to, to get to this point now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, People don't prepare you for that. You hear stories yeah. about like you're gonna sacrifice a lot of your a lot of yourself and your health and all that sort of stuff. Nobody tells you it's that it's that hard. I, mean, I think it was. I think it was a, a, a bit harder. For us. Yeah. It's you. You make it particularly hard on yourself if you try to do something at that scale with no money. Yeah, no money, no yeah. cash. Uh, that is extremely difficult and um the, honestly that's that's entirely down to uh, to 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 Alan there and and, and his skill set as an operations like master he's fantastic at that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. um and yeah that's 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 how we survived within there we're surviving beer to beer um and yeah there was there was no there was there was nothing on the horizon that would see this being a a, a profitable business, and what, by profitable I mean us paying ourselves, um, by any any measure of the future, unless we got a brewery, yeah. started to ourselves. But what you had done is develop a brand. The design was like great. The the beers were obviously tasting amazing. You were you were doing things that no one had really done, I guess, in your market as well. So let's get up to the point of physical brewery. Now, this is where Alex's uh, engineering comes. Like, <laughs> you get a chance to build your brewery. Um, I remember talking to you guys about it and just like, wow, this sounds insane. So what was your first dream when you you wanted that physical brewery? What what did you want to create um, and, and have the ability to do there that might have been different from usual facilities? Um, I think we just wanted... Well, the... The, the 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 function of the brewery had changed a couple of times. Um, initially, we thought that we would continue to produce volume of stuff that we were keeping on all year round mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like rollover or body riddle. Um, that we 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 would be able to continue to produce that in some facility, and um, we would dedicate a brewer to working within there and just producing that. Um, and then we would try to do a brew pub and the brew pub would be an outlet for uh, the, the just the level of creativity and the level of skews, different different varieties of beers that we wanted to produce. Um, so when I started designing a kit, it was with a really good brew pub in mind. And um, then it just, we, we were just getting to the point where like, it, there's no way we're going to get consistent supply of core products um, from any facility because any facility is just going to start they're going to start doing well or, and they're not going to have all of that uh, space dedicated to them so um so yeah we just we said right it was it was it was a little bit into the design process of what i had started designing as a brew pub that we had to turn that into a production 
brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I needed it to do both. So I needed it to be basically a pilot brewery, a brew pub and a production brewery all in one. And there's nothing like that on the market. So when there's nothing like that on the market, you kind of have to invent things. So that's that's how that process kind of came about. Um, yeah. So I'd what was it? So what was it that you uh, you invented? <laughs> Tell us about your your Willy Wonka invention well, of a of a brewery. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 the, <laughs> it's it's not that crazy. It's just uh, yeah. Well, it's it is a bit crazy. It's um, it's. <laughs> It's a, it's a small brew house that can do a lot of flips in a day. And by a lot of, a lot of terms, we mean we brew quite, quite often. So, um, so I, I've been used to running 24 hour, you know, operations and, and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're mashing in as often as, you know, your longest process is taken. Um, mm-hmm. mo- with most breweries, that's a louder ton, usually takes about three hours, maybe three and a half hours to clear it out. And that's how often you're brewing. You might get, you might get eight or nine or ten, and in, in, and and the big industrial breweries might get might get twelve in a twenty four hour period. Um, so if we were to construct a small brewery like that, it means that you can do one beer in a day, and it's really small, and you can take risks, and you can dump it down the drain if it doesn't work, and hey, don't worry about it, and you can produce just enough beer to shift it. You can mm-hmm. you can sell fifty cases of beer if if you're really really happy with it. So we needed so that that was the pilot thing kind of our, our focus at that stage and then when we decided like this there's, there's absolutely no chance of you know being able to produce you know rollover and body riddle in, in in other facilities um at that time we were like okay well this also has to do the the the, the big tanks so your your 900 or 800 liters that you're kicking out now also has to do 8,000 liters in the day. So how do you do that? So, um, so yeah, what you do is you separate all the processes. Um, uh, so we have what's called a five, a five vessel and mash filter brew house. So the mash filter allows us to brew very quickly, um, and have a great degree of flexibility in terms of the grists that we, that we want. Um, and then we basically, we, we came up with a system of a brew house that instead of your macro industrial kind of uh, operation that can maybe guess 10, 11 out in a 24 hour, we can do 14 in a 24 mm-hmm. hour. Now we don't, we don't want to run 24 hours a day, but that's, that's what we, we constructed. So, um, so we have a really small brew house with a lot of muscle that can kick out a lot of beers in a day um, to bridge that gap between uh, a brew pub slash pilot brewery and a production brewery. So it's quite small, it's thousand, thousand liters maximum. The reality is we do about eight, 900 liters in a brew. Mm-hmm. And then we brew as often as we, as we want. So yeah, we brew five, six times a day when we're really busy. And then just once, if we're just having a fun kind of pilot day and making a beer that might make it to the very end, but it's a small amount of volume and we can, we can manage. So it is an incredible kind of way to operate. And, and I forgot the kind of brew pub, uh, aspect that you were thinking about because yeah versatility and the ability to produce different styles and experiment I guess but then yeah when you roll that into a production facility as well I know you guys are turning it over like what like nine times a day or something to get to fill up the big tanks or yeah we, we can do we can do seven or eight in a in a double shift on the first week so when we commissioned when we got the plant going oh you when know, you had to fill uh, all your tanks we filled all the tanks in six days. <laughs> we, uh, the, the, Steph is laughing at that because 
you've seen the pictures of the, the brew house. So we yeah. sorry, the, the the cellar. So we've got 15 FEs ranging from eight hectare to 80. Um and yeah, we did 64 brews in six days um in the first first week and rested of a Sunday. And uh that was insane. Yeah, that was <laughs> I think it was that it was good. It was shocking. I think it was shocking to our team at the time because a lot of people, with the exception of one of our team, had come from craft independent brewing where you'd be very used to brewing maybe twice a week on a single, yeah. you know, and when they were hitting mash 14 <laughs> on the 24 hour uh yeah schedule they were like this is this is lunacy but is it's lunacy. a very yeah it's a it's a very good way to start in terms of you start there and then you know when we you know when we empty all the tanks again when you just tell them it's like don't worry about it we've only got brew six lines today you know and then they're like <laughs> oh fair Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so um, it gets people used to brewing, brewing at that at that pace. Then you know, yeah, just unbelievable. Um, you guys have really done an amazing job getting Whiplash to where it is now and producing such incredible beers. Um, oh Alex, we I could talk on to you for for another hour or so, but we're we're gonna kind of bring it to a to a close here. So we'll have to do a compressed um, last couple of questions. But you think of your journey that you've kind of gone through to get to this point and if you look at the beer market in the next five years and maybe just the Irish beer market or, or the big kind of global beer market obviously we're going through pretty challenging times at the moment there's a lot of different things happening um that put a squeeze on breweries and and, and everyone how do you see the next five years for whiplash in there and the and the beer scene How do I see it? Um, it's hard to have a crystal ball. Um, we see ourselves focusing, as we've always done, on making good quality core beer. And we yeah. always have. We've always produced rollover. We've always produced body riddle. We've never been a brewery who said that we don't produce, um, you know, year-round specials or anything like that. Uh, we're very, very proud to. And we see ourselves moving into that space. We want to be people's go-to and we are to a lot of people but people's go-to particularly in Dublin mm-hmm. um and um yeah uh, to be producing rollover and body riddle and blue ghosts or pilsner and slow life or stout um and to be producing as many specials as consumers want us to make our focus at the moment is on because we're at that time of year we're making triple decoction lagers and uh, vintage porters and stuff. Oh, it's not wall to wall hazies here. Yeah. You know, it's like we have a good variety of what we're doing. And as you know, uh, as our brewer said, we like, we like to make, they call them brewers, brewers beers. We make a lot of brewers beers and we make the, uh, we make our go-to that is reliable and that is a cut above every time you go down to the pub or to get your few cans to go to go to a party or drink at home. Um, so that's the space we want to be in. We just want to be, in, you know, a good, solid, independent Dublin brewery making really good beer. Amazing. Okay, so last question, Alex. You're in a bar. The guy says, we've got every beer that's ever been made. Or we can make any beer in an instant for you to drink. Mm. There's mm. a little flash on the TV in the corner. Kind of feels like what it feels like now. And there's just like a comet's about to hit earth in about an hour. And the barman slaps mm. the bar in front of you and goes, what are you drinking? What beer mm. would it be for you? Sherlenkala. <laughs> Sherlenkala. Smoked Merton. 
Amazing. Simple as. Don't even yeah. have to think about it. There you go. That's all it is. I could drink that. I could drink that forever. That's Mate, that's, uh, I think that's then... probably the most niche. Well, it's not. It's obviously an incredible beer, but that's a, that's a totally different vibe than a lot of people go for. Yeah, well. Why is that so? Because obviously yeah. for those that haven't drank it, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a, well, it's a smoked German beer. It's a smoked. It's yeah. a smoked lager, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a smoked malty lager. It's got everything. It's got smoke. It's got lager. There you go. What else? <laughs> what else do you want? <laughs> and I, know that someone, uh, I think uh, it's fantastic. I know that someone actually that you employed, one of your first employees, he, he'd done a little stint at the brewery, hadn't he? And you were just like, right. He was in. a brewer. Yeah. He was a brewer. Actually. That's he got the job immediately. That's incredible. And yeah. like, uh, yeah, that's uh, he, he was just so lucky. He was just in, um, uh, he was working, I think, in Bamberg and he'd applied yeah. for the job. And the set, I think he was doing like a language plant in Bamberg and he applied for the job. And uh, it wasn't the first job, he wasn't a brewer, he just like Jeff jobs going at your amazing brewery. And they're like, get in there, uh, does a brewer job for you? And like, he's like, Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And uh, one of the guys from Casper uh, Schultz, the, uh, the, the 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 brewery manufacturer there, also in Bamberg, you know, and uh, he came down to visit, and you know, we were chatting about brew houses and stuff. And he says, "Here, meet Connor. Here, he used to work in Bamberg. He's a brewer in Shalankla." And he's like, "Oh wow!" And he met him, Connor, Connor's from Ireland. Like Connor just started talking with his Irish accent, and your man's like, "Okay, he's from Ireland." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So we were having a chat, and he was like this guy's still bemused by the fact that he met an Irish brewer worked there. And I was just like, what's so strange about that? And he's like, we've made tanks for them. I'm not allowed in their brewery. I can't, like, I can't even visit there. I'm from Whoa, Bamberg in no Germany. Way. And I said it to Connor. I says, what's going on with this? Like, how did you manage that? And he's like, oh yeah, I found out afterwards. Apparently one of the brewers just broke his leg that day and I just applied the right time and I just that's ended up insane. working at Schlenkel. And um and yeah just just what a lucky what a lucky uh coincidence that you applied for that job. I was uh yeah that's 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 fantastic. So <laughs> that's um <laughs> yeah we're all smoked beer fiends here and um you know they're the they're they're you know they're fantastic. But I think it's 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 got that mix of it's sessionable you can drink it for hours. It's when you start it it's this massive intense violent hit of of of, of beach smoke but it's mm-hmm. it there's a roundness and there's a sweetness and there's a balance to all of it as well um and uh there's a cleanness and, and a depth of malt profile that you don't normally get from even just Mertzen. i find a lot of Mertzen is is, is, is very unbalanced as well yeah. but actually their Mertzen is really really well balanced in terms of the body and it's not overdoing the malt profile and giving you this sickly sweet thing that's hanging around your teeth it's like really really well you know aged in and you know the thing about smoke beer is the more you drink if you if you if you have a second or third pint by the third one you're not tasting that smoke anymore you're just enjoying all of the multi profile of that so um and it, and it gets back to just being a, like quite cool intense lager so um that's a beer that changes or that you change as you drink it and mm-hmm. i find that that's um yeah, that's that's something I always come back to. That I always just find absolutely fascinating, and I can drink it at any time of year. 
I can drink it at any time of day. It's absolutely, you know, it's not like a big imperial stout that you have to call your dentist after having a sip of or something like that. Or, you know, a Pilsner where you're just like, you know, I'd like a little bit more depth to this after a while. Because I love, I love Pils. Pils will be a second mm-hmm. after that. Um, or a really sessionable pale ale, New England. But uh, yeah smoked merton for me well alex you've inspired me i'm gonna i'm gonna try and pick up a couple of bottles of uh of that and just sit with it and and think of you as i drink it thank you yes. <laughs> dude an, <laughs> absolute, an absolute pleasure alex thanks so much mate it, you're it's incredible to talk to you and for anyone listening we're actually going to do i think the whiplash story should have a two-parter so we're going to sit down with alan as well and get his perspective on how it all came to be in there and and put it together awesome thanks so much alex that's it another episode done a massive thank you to alex for being such a great guest i hope you enjoyed it i'm sure you did like i said this is actually a two-part episode so we will be speaking to alan as well to get that full bandwidth of that whole story um as alex kind of explained in this episode of how they came to be yeah it'll be great to speak to alan and get his perspective too um this show was produced by tom coucher big love to you tom thanks again um and yeah we'll be back with another episode also apologies that we haven't been able to keep up with the weekly episodes it's just uh it's it's a lot of work but i'm just going to keep putting them out as as regularly as i can and i hope you enjoy them each time so yeah we'll see you for another episode very soon and as ever stay thirsty.